So a couple of weeks ago, we started this series about not wasting our lives and living for things that really matter. And we talked about as individuals what that means, but also about what it means to be a part of this church and what we mean when we talk about uh, being a part of First Baptist Goodlettsville. In fact, our, our mission statement, the reason that we are around is this. We say that we exist to glorify God by leading people to become passionately devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And so that's our mission. That's our goal. But over the last few weeks and for the next couple of weeks, what we've really been focusing on is what is this word here? These two words together. What does passionately devoted mean? What does that look like in our lives? How does it play out in what we do and how we live and the choices that we make? And so the first week we talked about being a passionately devoted worshiper and we talked about what it meant to, to worship and to live our lives for the glory of God alone. And last week we talked about what it meant to be a part of a community of faith, a community of believers like this one and how we live that out. And today I want to talk about the third word, the third description of what it means to be passionately devoted. And we're going to talk about what it means to be a passionately devoted disciple. Now when I was growing up, my... Uh, my grandmother kept me during the summer. My, both of my parents worked, and, and we went to Granny's house, Granny Nell, who lived in the same town we did, and we stayed there for the summer. In fact, it was not just me and my brother until we got to the age when we could stay at our house by ourselves. My brother, who's five and a half years older than me, would be there. And then I had two cousins that lived in town, one that was three years older than me and one that was six weeks younger than me. And so the four of us would be together and would have run of Granny's house. Now, Granny was one of those, um, I don't know how to delicately put this, um, strict matriarchs. She ruled the roost. In fact, if you got out of line, she had this little thing in her kitchen called a helping hand. You may have seen a helping hand, Right? And it was just a little piece of wood that she would help herself to if children need to be disciplined. But at Granny's house, we had a set order of the day in the summer. We had outside playtime. We had time when you had to be quiet because Granny's stories were on. You know what Granny's stories are? Soap operas, right? One Life to Live and General Hospital. House was quiet during that time. Whatever you do. But at 10 o'clock in the morning, we all had an appointment in front of the TV. For what was our favorite show to watch together with Bob Barker, The Price is Right, right? How many of you love The Price is Right, all right? Right? Somebody just tell me, what's your favorite game on The Price is Right? Exactly. That's how much you love it. Nobody knows one, all right? What's your favorite game? Plinko, right? Well, I love The Price is Right. I love the games. I love watching. I love the competition. One of the things I liked about it was when people made mistakes. Now, for instance, just in the last few weeks, I, I got online and looked at some mistakes on prices right recently. Just in the last few weeks, somebody bid $7,000 on a hammock. That was $400. Uh, somebody else, there was this lady and they had dream car week. You know how they, you know, the big deal is if they give a a new car, they do that. Well, this particular week they were giving away dream cars and this woman had the chance to win a Porsche. And so she did the pricing game. You know where they do the game where you, you play a game and then it gives you a choice and you choose what the numbers are. And when she got through, the price of the car was like $95,000. 
745. And right before they revealed whether it was right or not, they said to her, listen, you've got, you've already won $4,000 worth of stuff in the little games. If you want to, you can keep that and lose a chance to get the Porsche. And she said, I didn't have anything when I came. I want the sure thing. And then they revealed the price and she would have won the Porsche. That's got to hurt, right? I mean, I'm not one, you know, I don't ever imagine having a Porsche, but man, that would be, that would be tough. Even last week, right at the end, or at the end of 2014, they did a review show and they had an iPhone 6 as the beginning item for everybody to bid on. The first guy goes, I bid $7,500. And Drew Carey, the host now said, what? And the guy next to him goes, what did he bid? What did he bid? And he said, 7500 Then I bid 7501 It was not that much money. And then I saw that there's this video that's kind of gone viral online this week about something that happened on The Price is Right when the announcer, not, not the host, the announcer tried to do something while he was talking. And it didn't work out too well. And I'm going to show you that clip right now. That's unfortunate, right? And here's what it opened up for me. There's a whole thing online of treadmill fails. So I thought we'd show a couple of those. Can you go on to the next video there? Here it is. Now watch this guy. He's going to jump on a moving treadmill. Oh! All right, that was quick. And we got a couple of guys next that are going to show you. So this guy's going to jump on with a barrack exercise ball. Realizes that might not have been the best idea. And then we got a guy that's going to come here. Oh, wait, you can go. It's all right. This, this girl's going to jump on with her friend. Uh, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and finally, we got this guy who's just too cool dancing around. Everything's awesome. (laughs) Shoes go flying. (laughs) Now, here's what that taught me. Two truths, really. Some of you need a moment to compose yourself. That's all right. Two truths that that taught me. First of all, people are dumb. Right? Amen. Anybody, Anybody here tried to jump on a moving trampoline? Yeah, that's what I thought. All right. No, no question bag is on that list. All right. Second thing I've learned. People do dumb things. Secondly, treadmills are evil. Amen. I, here's what I don't like about treadmills. You put a lot of work in and you don't go anywhere. Right. You're just there. In fact, I read this week, true story here. I read this week that treadmills were, have been around for a lot longer than I imagined. I thought they were kind of a new thing this century or the last hundred years or so. But in Victorian England, they had treadmills. But they didn't have them in air conditioning. They didn't have air conditioning, first of all. But they didn't have health spas or places for people to better themselves. Do you know where they had treadmills in Victorian England? In prisons. It was punishment for prisoners. And all of you that hate exercise said, amen, right? They thought if the guys would walk on the treadmill or run on the treadmill all day long and realize they were not accomplishing anything, they would eventually be broken 
and settle into just living life as it was. Here's the point to all that. There are a lot of people that feel like being a disciple for Jesus Christ is like running on a treadmill. You're doing stuff over and over and over again. Or your life just seems like you're constantly moving, constantly running, constantly trying to go somewhere, and you're not getting anywhere at all. It may not be in your spiritual life. It may be in your financial life. It may be in a relationship. You just feel like you're giving effort. You're working. You're trying. You're doing. You're going. You say all that, and then boom, boom, you never get anywhere. The bottom line never looks better. The relationship doesn't improve. The habit you have doesn't go away. The addiction is still there. And as I read the scriptures, what I've discovered is that is not what God intended for us at all. You see, we talk about what it means to be a disciple. And today we're talking about being a passionately devoted disciple. And the scripture gives a very intentional understanding of what being a disciple will be like. It gives us a description. And it's one of those that seems almost foreign to us because we don't realize it or grab it in our own lives. In fact, it describes it in Romans 8.29 this way. It says... For those whom he knew, who also predestined, those are a lot of big words. Here's all you need to know, that for those that Christ knew would come to him, for those who Christ knew would be a part of his family, for those of us who he knew would uh, agree to follow and accept the forgiveness that comes in Jesus Christ, for those people, so if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've been saved, if you believe that you are following Jesus Christ, that's you. For those he foreknew, he also predestined. And he predestined them to be conformed. That means made into, to be formed with together the image of his son. Now, those of you that have been around for a few weeks, our Christmas series was all about Christ coming to earth. And if you remember, I said that Jesus is the exact representation, the exact replica of God the Father. And so let me just ask you a quick question. If he's going to conform us into the image of his son, that means we're also going to be conformed into the image of the father. You see, he tells us that being a disciple, being a follower means that in some way we're being formed, made into the very image of God's son. A little later in Romans chapter 12, actually, it says this. Do not be conformed. There's that word again. He says, don't be like, don't be molded, don't be put into the world's mold, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The, the key word here is transformed. He says, listen, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, if you're going to be a disciple of Christ, if you're going to be someone that, that goes after him, it means that your life is going to be transformed. Now, we know what the word transformed means. It means I grew up with real transformers, not the movies they've made least recently, like the real stuff. And we knew what it was to take uh, what was then a boom box. How many have you know what a boom box is, right? Up on the shoulder, right? Any of y'all know what a boom? Yeah, you lost that, all right? Boombox sound wave turned into a robot, or to have an 18-wheeler turn into a robot. Or they don't even sell this today because it's not appropriate. But Megatron, the evil guy, was a pistol that turned into a robot. 
We know what it means. Chris Maggie got really excited about that back there. We know what it means there, but what does it mean here? Well, here's the crazy thing. That's what it means here. In fact, the word that is used here is a word that we've just brought over into our language. And it's a word that means to be changed, to be transformed. It's the word metamorphosis. And it means literally to have your form completely changed. Now, in nature, we have an unbelievable example of this. Most of you know this. What's the nature example of a metamorphosis? A butterfly, right? In fact, we're going to just put a video on that you can watch for a minute while I kind of talk over it. Now, what is that? Is that a butterfly? Yes and no, right? It will be. It's not yet. What is that? That's a caterpillar. Isn't this just amazing to watch? This is a time lapse. Obviously, it doesn't happen this fast. You're going to watch a two-minute video, and it's going to change. But it's just an amazing thing that, that nature gives us this example that when you look at that, you don't immediately think, oh, that is a butterfly waiting to develop. If you saw that crawling across your kitchen floor, your thought is to get that out of there. And yet, in the majesty, in the creative genius of God, He creates this bug who forms a cocoon and will come out on the other side a completely different creature. There are lots of arguments out there about creation and God and all that kind of stuff. I I just want to say, I don't know any other reason that something like this happens except that there is a creative God who likes to show off. This is amazing. I mean, look at that. Isn't that amazing? You're like, mm, not that. That's kind of creepy and gross right now. But the picture here is of an animal, a caterpillar, that completely changes its form. And as you're watching this caterpillar go into the cocoon and come out as a butterfly, I want you to understand that the picture that God has for you and for me is that our lives will be so radically transformed by the grace and the mercy and the presence of Jesus that we will be completely new and different creations. Now it takes our lives and God promises that what He works in us, He will complete. What He started, He will complete. But today what I want you to realize is there are a lot of us that are in the midst of forming and becoming what God intends for us to be. And that means that one day we're going to emerge completely transformed in how we live and how we act and how we think. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Isn't that amazing, by the way? Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's going to be right here on the screens and here on the monitor on stage. And we're just going to walk through this because I want you to see in this passage, I believe that being a disciple of Christ means doing your part in what God has called us to do for the transformation of us from who we were to to who God intends for us to be. And here's the question I want you to think about overall as we're walking through this scripture, as we're thinking about this scripture, here's what I want you to think about overall. What is different about you today because you're a believer in Jesus Christ? 
Now, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ or you're not a follower of his, that question doesn't apply. What we're going to talk about over the few, next few minutes is something you can hold Christians accountable to. You can say, hey, what's different about you? You say you believe in Jesus. What's different about you? It doesn't necessarily apply to you because this only comes in relationship with Christ. But if you're here today, you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You say that you are saved by him, that you are following him. Then the question is, what is different about you today? Because of your relationship with Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4. And I know this says verse 21. It actually is verse 20. It says this. But that is not the way you learn Christ. He, he's just given them a whole list of negative things. Of things that people did in their, their society. Of all the things. I mean it's evil stuff. And you can look back at that at some time. He says that's not what you learned. And then he kind of throws this caveat. And he says I'm assuming that you actually have heard about him. And that you were taught in him that, that that actually happened. He said, I'm assuming you have a relationship with Jesus. He says, if you have a relationship with Jesus, then the truth is in Jesus. If you have a relationship with Jesus in him, three things are going to happen. The first is this. You're going to throw off the old. Next verse tells us that you're going to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through its deceitful desires. And I want you to just focus on that for a minute because what he says is when you come to Christ, you come and you shed your skin, literally, or you take off the clothes of the former life and you leave it behind. The reality is that we need Christ because without him we are sinners in desperate need for salvation with no hope of our own. And he says when you come to Christ, it is Important that you then leave those past and your past behind you and that sin and all of that has trapped you. You let it go. I got two boys. There's something I know about boys, but I am being retaught by my two boys. And it is simply this. They have no problem whatsoever wearing dirty clothes. Right? I mean... Given just y'all pick out what you wear, they would probably wear the same thing three, four, five, six, seven days in a row and without any, no shower. Just why? I mean, what's the purpose of that? Right? It doesn't bother them at all. You can't smell the own stench of your clothes like other people can. They just live with it. I remember being in college and going into people's dorms and, um, a union, uh, we had we had a complex for the men, a men's complex. You could just visit anywhere. As you were going in, we had each individual room. So you'd walk into somebody's room, and in a lot of rooms, there was just a stack of clothes. Obviously not clean. And you go in, and you know, a lot of times you go, hey man, we're going over to get something to eat, and you want to go with us? And you'd hear, yeah, yeah, man, I just got to I gotta put on a, a shirt or something. One sec. And he'd go over there, and he'd reach into the pile of dirty clothes... Shake it out a little bit. Uh, it's not too bad. And he'd throw it on and wear it. Right? My guess is girls don't do that. Not as much as guys for sure. There are a lot of believers that come to Christ, follow Him, accept the forgiveness that comes from their sins, and they won't shed the old clothes that they've been wearing. And they live with the stench of it over and over and over again. 
And sometimes they kind of get rid of it, but they leave it in a pile over here where they can go pick it up and shake it out. And I don't think that was as bad as I remember it to be. And they put it back on and start wearing it again. In order to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it means that we put away the old stuff. Now, let me talk to you here today. If you, I mentioned earlier, if you've not followed Jesus, if you're not a believer in His, can I tell you something? Here's the good news for you. There are some of you right now that wished you could get rid of some stuff. There's a relationship you're in that is not going well. There's something you've tried over and over again that's just not happening. There's a habitual thing in your life that just keeps pulling you back in. There's an addiction in your life that is causing major problems. There's financial issues. There is something within you that just won't let you get moving forward. Can I tell you one of the best promises about following Jesus is that he allows us to put our old self away. And that doesn't happen necessarily instantaneously, but there is strength in him to get rid of the stuff that holds us back. Believer, can I say to you, there are a lot of you that you moved on, you're grown some, you're, you're, you're following the Lord. But it's almost like you've got a special storage place for some stuff that you do not want to let go of. And you keep it just in arm's reach to be able to get it whenever you want it. And to be a passionately devoted disciple of Jesus Christ means that you throw that stuff out and you don't return to it again. In fact, over the last few weeks we've cut away each week at the stuff that entangles us. And this isn't the final point, but this is perhaps the most important point when it comes to what it means to be a disciple of Christ. It means that you're going to have to be willing to cut away that old self stuff, the sin, the habits, the relationships, the dreams and the aspirations that continue to hold you back when it comes to following Jesus completely. And so my question is, what is that stuff? What's the old self that you're still holding on to? The first step he tells us is to put off the old self. The second step he tells us in the next verse, and it's simply this, to renew or change the spirit of your minds. So we're to put off all the other stuff, and then we're to say, Christ, I'm in a position, I am ready, Jesus, I am ready to hear from you, I'm ready for my life to be transformed, I'm ready to have something Change who I am. Yes, that stuff is gone, but I want to be made into the person that you desire for me to be. The word renewed there means exactly what it seems like. It is that to be our spirit to be renewed, our minds to be renewed. This isn't some kind of new age, go off somewhere, center yourself and everything will be fine. This is I want to begin to think and act and live and love and talk and be what you have called me to be. And I want my mind to begin to focus on that. We throw off the old. We're renewed in the spirit of our minds. And then he tells us in the next verse that we put on the new. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We begin to fill our lives with the things of God. Now traditionally... Those have been called spiritual disciplines. 
It's the best way to put on the new self. And that is to build habits into your life, to build systems into your life where you're constantly encountering God. And to be a disciple of Christ means that you allow life change to happen, but it means that you also put yourself in a place where you're hearing from God, listening to God, being alone with God, investing your life in the things of God so that He can teach you the truth. I mean, you just sang a beautiful song about what we believe, and and most of you in this room would wholeheartedly say yes to that. But the question is, all right, how does that begin to impact the way that you talk to your coworker tomorrow or the way that you interact with your kids tonight or the way that you and your spouse handle a disagreement that's going to come up this week? How does that impact who you are? Well, those are where in the spiritual disciplines, the moments when you spend with the Lord on a daily basis, you begin to put on the new self of who you are and who you are supposed to be. It means to know the truth. You've got to read the truth. And so you spend time studying God's word. It means to know what God wants you to do with the truth. You begin to pray and ask the spirit of God to teach you in different ways about what the scripture means for you. And today, what that truth means for the workplace environment you're going into in just a few minutes. I mean, sometimes sitting at your desk at, at work and, and opening the, the Word of God and just saying, listen, I just had something come into my office that I had no idea was coming, something come into this, this place that I had no idea that, that I had a, a child this morning in a classroom that just completely wrecked what I was thinking about. And right now I just need, again, truth from God's Word about what it means to be His follower, His disciple in this place. You spend time in prayer. You spend time in rest and solitude and just with Him. You spend time fasting, depriving yourself of something uh, that you can focus more completely on God. You celebrate the things in life that are worth celebrating. You live with joy. And you don't settle for just being who you've always been. With a group in Sunday school this morning, I shared a passage a little later on from Ephesians. And just reiterated why this is so important for us and so important. This series is so important for us as a community of believers and for you as individuals. It says that Paul is talking to the Ephesian church and he says, make the most of every opportunity that you're given. And the word opportunity there really means that it is a limited time engagement, a one shot deal. You're only chance. You ever had a chance to do something spectacular or amazing and you missed it? Maybe it was a trip or a vacation or maybe it was a mission trip or maybe it was an experience that nobody else has ever gotten to do that you had a chance at and you missed it. Most of those things, while exciting, wouldn't have made a huge difference in the grand eternal scheme of things. But what we're talking about over those last few weeks and what we talk about this week and next is simply this, that we get one shot at this life. And if we start filling it with other stuff, we are missing out on the very reason for which we were created. And one of those is to be changed, transformed like a caterpillar into a butterfly from the old self into the one that God has called us to be. Here's my question for you. Twofold, really. What's different about you because you're a follower of Jesus Christ? And secondly, what do you need to cut away? What do you need to get rid of that's preventing you from allowing God to work in a mighty way in your life? 
you're not a believer here today, let me just tell you. There is nothing more freeing or amazing than having your sin and your past and the struggles. Maybe you're here and you feel like you're on that treadmill. Maybe you feel like some of those guys we watch that are trying to get on the treadmill and you can't even get on. And it just seems that the more you try, the more you don't go anywhere. And maybe today for the first time you need to give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ and allow him to do away with the old and give you a vision of the new. In just a moment, Jeff and the band's going to come back up and we're going to have a time of response. They're going to play. We're going to sing a song. I'll be standing out the front. If you've got any reason to come, you want to talk about accepting Christ as your Savior, becoming a disciple, following him. You want to pray about some things you need to let go of in your life in order to move forward, some of the old things you have. I'm just going to ask you to respond however the Lord leads us. Let's pray together.